and welcome. This is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Dr. David Brody. He is an MD, PhD-trained, board-certified neurologist with both a research and clinical specialization in traumatic brain injury and neurodegenerative diseases. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. So tell us about what you study. Tell us tell us all the, the amazingness of you. <laughs> well, you put me in a little bit of a spot there. <laughs> um, I work on concussion and other more severe forms of traumatic brain injury. This has been an area of interest of mine for a long time, and it's been a focus of society recently because of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and because of the increasing interest in concussions from sports like football and boxing and hockey and martial arts and rugby, et cetera. But even apart from war and sports, there are an enormous number of traumatic brain injuries in every aspect of society, motor vehicle accidents and falls, sports injuries from other sorts, uh, assaults and industrial accidents. And so it's a really enormous epidemic problem in modern society and actually an increasing problem in the developing world as well as motor vehicles become much more prevalent and yet safety features become uh, are, are have not have lagged behind the transportation so even so when you say safety features i mean now some of these cars come with airbags all over the place that doesn't necessarily help uh, they do help. They help a lot. Okay. There's a lot of lives that are saved, and a lot of traumatic brain injuries are reduced by airbags and anti-lock brakes and seatbelts and uh, traction control. But um, and in fact, it's a problem that disproportionately affects less wealthy individuals, both in the United States and around the world, who don't have the resources for those safety features. Got yeah. Okay, because not all cars come with the various airbags all over the place. Most of them them come with, I think it is a law. They have, it has to be in the steering wheel, correct? They all have some, but none of them, but they don't have them as good as they could. And other things like things like traction control, for example, are tremendously helpful and not all cars come with that. Okay. The, um, but the other aspect of traumatic brain injury in the general population is that as our society ages, older individuals are spending a lot more time doing a lot more active things and have a high risk of falling. So the most common now cause of traumatic brain injury in my clinic that I see is falls. Really? And older individuals are the fastest growing traumatic brain injury subset demographic. Oh, I'll be darned. It used to be young men driving too fast and crashing their motorcycles as the predominant distribution or cars. Uh, Now the largest and most rapidly growing group are older individuals with falls. Really? So is it because, I mean... Are we, do we feel like we can do a lot more than we actually can as we get older? We've encouraged <laughs> uh, people of all ages to exercise and be as active as possible. But sometimes with osteoporosis and joint problems and nerve loss and balance disorders, then people are, are, are falling more commonly. Now, I would never tell people not to get out and exercise because sure. I think the benefits of exercise far outweigh the risk of a fall with a concussive traumatic brain injury. Likewise for sports, even dangerous sports, the benefits of exercise and team dynamics and camaraderie far outweigh the risk of concussions. Right. But nonetheless, every good thing has some risk to it. 
So, okay. So for us that are older and still think that we're in our 20s and, you know. <laughs> can, well, if any older people come, we can talk to them about that. Not I'll none of us you. here. <laughs> um, but, you know, to just to kind of keep on the radar of, of the people out there as they age, what are some things that they might need, like preventative measures or things that they should just keep in mind? Like maybe I shouldn't go do this if every time I get up, I'm dizzy. Or do you know what I mean? Like what should they they have on their radar to get looked at or think about? Those are great questions. I mean, so the starts with the feet, having good shoes and good foot care and making sure that if one has diabetes or other causes of nerve loss, that that's really optimally treated because we spend a lot of time feeling the ground with our feet and our ability to feel the ground with our feet contributes a lot to our, our not falling. Wow, that's a good thought. Plus, just as you say, having your blood pressure maintained just right. I mean, the cardiologists will tell us to push our blood pressure as low as possible. But if it goes too low, we can faint when we get up and get dizzy when we stand up, and that can increase the risk of falling. So blood pressure is a little bit like baby bear's porridge. You don't want it to be too hot, and you don't want it to be too cold. You want it to be just right. Got Yeah, well, because so, I have low blood pressure. And so I when I have to be really careful when I get up I'm always like whoa I get like a little bit of dizziness and I'm I'm not quite sure how to make it stop I don't know what I do to make my blood pressure low but it's uh but it's it's a good thing you know to think of like don't just hop up and start running around you right. know kind of hold yourself a bit Yeah that's so right So what about kids um I am the parent of a 14-year-old girl who is really into competitive cheer as what well, and she does cheer at high school and she, especially in the high school range, she's the one that they put up in the air, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm the parent sitting there looking like I might have a heart attack most of the time in the stands. Um, how, what are some things, I mean, I hear of kids are like, oh yeah, she got a concussion last year. I'm like, what does that mean mm. to the parent? Sure, absolutely. So a concussion is a traumatic brain injury. It's the least severe form of traumatic brain injury. They're not life-threatening, mm -hmm. um, but they still can have significant effects. So 80 or 90% of young, otherwise healthy individuals are going to make a full recovery from their concussion. Okay. So most of the time, there's really nothing to worry about. But every parent, everyone observing should be on the lookout for, is this person going to be one of the 10 or 20% that is not going to make a full recovery? And the things to look out for are things like headaches that are just not going away, that are lasting for a long period of time. Mood changes. Now, that's sometimes hard to distinguish from normal teenage teenagers behavior. teenagers especially, yes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, having two teenagers myself, I can say that. Um, but things that are really out of character for that person that are beyond what you'd expect for a teenager. Okay. And uh, cognitive problems, the trouble with concentration, trouble with memory, trouble with organization and planning that, again, are not characteristic for that person, that they're clearly different from before they had the concussion. And will they know, I mean, would you know, like, um, can a person have a concussion and not really know it? It happens. Most of the time, people know they've been concussed. Okay. So most of the time, concussion, they're unconscious for a period of time. Okay. It's pretty obvious. Gotcha. Or they have a big gap in their memory. They really just don't remember anything for half an hour or an hour after they've struck their head. Or they don't remember exactly how they got injured. So sometimes oh, if they, people don't remember how they got injured, that's a sign that they've been concussed. 
Okay. Um, or people have very bad balance problems. They're staggering around. We've all seen films, and we've I've seen it a lot of times in real life, when someone falls, strikes their head, tries to get back up, staggers around, clearly unable to balance, and then falls down again. So that those are some signs that are obvious of concussion. You call but in a specialist then. You, or, or you call somebody who knows what they're doing. Got you. Um, there are a lot of times when people strike their heads that are not concussions. So the skull and the scalp and the coatings around the brain and the fluid around the brain protect us pretty well from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune a good portion of the time. That's good to know. <laughs> so not every hit to the head is a tragedy. Again, it's baby bear's porridge. You know, we don't want to be overprotective. Right. But we also don't want to ignore the uh, a concussion when it happens. Got ya. Well, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Dr. David Brody. Hi, this is Mish Hancock and I'm the owner of 100th Monkey Media. 100th Monkey Media specializes in affordable and very effective social media solutions for the small to medium-sized business. Our goal is to create a social media presence that shows off who you are, what you do, and delivers brand loyalty and raving fans. Contact us today to learn what 100th Monkey Media can do for you. 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or 100thmm.com. And we're back with Dr. David Brody, who is also going to be giving a TED Talk for TEDx Gateway Arch Bounce event December 10th. So what is your topic going to be for that? I'm going to be talking about visualizing the invisible wounds of war. Ooh. And the invisible wounds of war that I am have been working on visualizing are concussions. Okay. There have been a lot of invisible wounds of war, but my focus is on concussion. Okay. And tell us, what does that look like? I mean, have, have you, um, I mean, you've had experience with these people who have come back over to the United States and have experienced concussions. What does that look like for us? It is very prevalent. About 20% of U.S. military personnel who served overseas in, in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan had concussive traumatic brain injuries. Most of them were from blast injuries oh, rather gosh. than the sorts of things that happened to us here in the United States. And in the words of one friend of mine who had both football concussions and a blast-related concussion, blast injuries are like football concussions the way forest fires are like candles. Oh, gosh. So substantially more significant than the sort of sports concussions that we are familiar with seeing. So we recognize that many of these individuals in service of our country have come back with substantial brain injuries, and it's not obvious. It's not visible to someone that sees them on the street. So... I, one of the things that I try to educate people is to be especially patient and cautious. If somebody doesn't remember something you say or something doesn't follow through with something that you ask them to do, they may have a substantial brain injury that's not obvious. Interesting. Likewise, a lot of people who have these blast-related brain injuries have a lot of emotional dysregulation, a lot of anxiety, depression, mood instability, post-traumatic stress disorder, we, there's a lot that we don't know about those topics, but one of the things we do know is that the blast injuries affect parts of the brain that are involved in emotional regulation. Okay. So that emotional regulation 
is not them slacking off or not wanting to do their job or seeking sympathy. That's sometimes damage to the brain, to the structures that cause uh, our ability to regulate our emotions. So do you tend to see people that are being medicated for these things and they don't actually require medication? There's, there's some other protocol that needs to be put into place? Um, we don't actually know whether they require medication or not. Certainly the medications are helpful, so I certainly would never say stop taking your medications. Right. The medications can often be very helpful. Okay. But uh, cognitive behavioral therapy can also be very helpful. We uh, carefully manage people's sleep. Sleep disorders are really common after these sorts of injuries, and, and we'd spend a lot of time dealing with those issues. Um, having a healthy lifestyle, getting back into exercise and a good quality diet and avoiding drugs and alcohol, those are very important um, domains. But I think that probably the area where um, our work, my research group at Washington University, has contributed the most is by destigmatizing this idea of blast-related concussion. Because when we started our work, concussion was something you just shrugged off and got back to doing what you were doing. It wasn't something that stopped you or that you even talked about. And because there was no clear evidence that there was an actual injury to the brain. One of the things we did using a technology called diffusion tensor imaging, a form of MRI scan, was to show that there was actual structural injury to the brain after these blast-related concussions. So you can see that now. We can see things that we didn't used to see before. Now, we're still a long way from this visualization being useful in everyday life. There's an awful lot of concussions that we cannot visualize. Okay. So this is in no way a finished story or a completed project. This is a, a work in progress. But just the idea that we could see a lot more with one technology called diffusion tensor imaging than we could with conventional MRI. And conventional MRI, in turn, saw a lot more than CT scan. Uh, is very helpful, very uh, encouraging that we will, in the future, be able to even more accurately visualize these concussive injuries. Wow. That's amazing work. It's been a lot it of fun. It has to be satisfying. It is uh, very satisfying, but it's un in some ways, but it's unsatisfying in others. But so, like, let me give you an example. In our first study that we did in Landstuhl, Germany, which is the triage center for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan okay. at that time, we in a cohort of sixty-three U.S. service members that all had blast-related concussions, no question about it. With a conventional MRI scan, we could see one. Ab ab person who had abnormalities. With our diffusion tensor imaging, we could see 18 out of the 63 had abnormalities. That's a lot better. Right, better. But it's not anywhere near good enough. Right. Because we need to see 63 out of 63. Right. So we still have a long way to go. So what do you do? Like, how do you help these people then once? I mean, so the, I, I love how it's always back to the obvious in many ways, like eat right, exercise, you know, the, the basics that you ought to be doing kind of thing. But um, and then other than you, you talked about the sleep disorders, is there anything else you do to help them? Like, do they uh, need to work any kind of other therapies? Um, one of the things that's really important in the military context is to know when they can return to duty and when they can't. Okay. So our main goal was to make that triage decision. The reason that we were in that place in the first place was because of some real failures of triage that occurred early on in the war. And uh, let me tell you about one example that General Corelli, Peter Corelli, who's been a strong advocate for concussion research, told me. Um, what happened was that there was a radio operator in Iraq 
who had been concussed four times in the space of a week. Oh, gosh. And he was so badly concussed that he was vomiting in the back of his MRAP, this large armored vehicle that they used. And he had to call in some coordinates for an airstrike. And he called a couple of the coordinates in wrong, made a mistake mm-hmm. in calling in those coordinates. And six of our guys got killed oh my as gosh. a result. So that was the, the signature event and many other events like that. The signature event that led General Corelli and other leaders and policymakers to say, you know, we've got to take this concussion issue seriously. We've got to be able to know who has to be pulled out and get some rehabilitation and who is actually okay to go back to work. Right. So now after the um, policy changes that General Corelli and others implemented uh, in the later parts of the war, when someone had a concussion, they would get pulled back to a warrior recovery center and have systematic rest, gradual resumption of activities, testing a little at a time, do a little bit more, a little bit more before they were returned to duty. Nobody would, after their first concussion, they'd be pulled out. They wouldn't have four concussions in the space oh, of a I week I can't anymore. even imagine. I have four concussions in one week. There has, that's just scary. Right. And that seems like a lot of long-term issues can result. That's right. Without proper... This and that and the other thing, all the amazing stuff that you're doing. That is, that's fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us. Well, it was a really General Corelli's story to tell, and, uh, but I'm, I felt like it was worth passing on because the, the biggest issue from the military was just that, was the, the triage and the recovery issue. And so since then, there was actually a very high return to duty rate. One of the concerns on the opposite side was that if you pull people out for concussion, you'll deplete the force. There'd be right. nobody left to, to serve. But actually, there was 95% of the people were able to return to duty, and it was an average of 12 days after concussion. Okay. But 12 days out is a pretty long time, considering that usually, like in the football world, we would have people out for two or three days after concussion, and then they'd be returning to practice, and they'd be playing the next week. So that's a little uh, the forest fire candle analogy. These blast concussions were much more serious some football players and some soccer players, I think we've seen recently, have returned to play in the same game even. Wow. Which um, we don't necessarily think is a, is a good idea, but you. it certainly happens. Okay. Well, that is. thank you for sharing that with us. We sure. are going to take another quick break, and we will be back. This is Mickey Hancock. Now's a good time to get a snack. My mom's going to do another commercial. If you're looking for an agency to help you with creating and publishing engaging content, launching campaigns, or reputation management, 100th Monkey Media is the social media agency for you. Make your business successful with its social media and get a real return from your investment. 100th Monkey Media is far more affordable than you may think, and we make it easy and impactful. Learn how 100th Monkey Media can help you on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and more. Contact us at 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. That's 636-789-1776 or visit 100thmm.com. And we are back with Dr. David Brody. So I have some questions for you. Um, my first question is, if you were asked to do a PSA, what would it be about? Okay. Not every hit to the head is an emergency. Got ya. But some injuries to the head need to be taken seriously. So look for the signs that you mentioned earlier. Tell the difference. Learn how to tell the difference between a 
blow to the head that causes a concussion and a blow to the head that does not cause a concussion. So one more time, tell us what to look for. Loss of consciousness. That one's pretty easy. Memory loss for what happened. So asking to the person what happened, describe in detail what happened. Not just generally, but in detail what happened. Somebody who is concussed may not be able to remember the details or recount the details. Don't help them. Don't say, you ran into the wall, right? And then you yeah, fell leading on the ground, questions, right? No, no, no yeah, leading right, questions. Right. Actually make them describe it. And then testing their memory afterwards. I want you to remember three things. Orange, penny, and wristwatch. And then ask them again five minutes later. Somebody, normal person, should be able to remember three things right. five minutes later. But somebody who's concussed has a good chance of not being able to remember those things. And testing their balance, getting up and standing on one foot, walking on a straight line like walking on a tightrope. A normal person, hopefully you know the person, you know right. what they can do at baseline, but somebody who's concussed may not be able to do those things. So everybody, it doesn't, you don't take any special training in neurology to be able to tell who's had a concussion and who's not. That is so helpful. I think that is going to be so helpful for so many people because I wouldn't know the first thing to do. My, my immediate reaction would be, we got to go to the emergency room, you know? So knowing to do these steps ahead of time. And then plus when by the time, if you need to go anywhere, you've got a lot of good information behind you that's right. to share. Yeah, that's right. And so even if you do decide to go to the emergency room, you can say to the emergency room doctor, yeah, five minutes after the injury, he couldn't remember the three things, and his balance was terrible. He fell off to the right side and couldn't stand on one foot. Now, two hours later, his memory is better, his balance is better. It looks like the concussion is clearing. It looks like things are clearing up. That would be super helpful for the emergency room doctors. Wow. I actually had to do this for Outside Magazine recently. They wanted oh, really? a, an article. They wanted us to do an article about how do you tell if your buddy has had a concussion when you're out there in the wilderness? Oh gosh! Where it's a really big deal because if you've had a con if somebody's had a concussion and you're out doing a dangerous sport like rock climbing or mountaineering or skiing or something like that, sure, you need, may need a helicopter evacuation, and that's a lot of money and that's right. a big deal. But you definitely don't want somebody who's had a concussion to going back to doing something dangerous because they they're risking their life and the life of the other people that are in their in their party. Exactly. So that triage decision, concussed or not concussed, is a really big deal for outdoor sports. That is great. Thank you so much for that information. See, you did a PSA right there. You already did it. Okay. So you know you didn't even know. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's say that you had. Like the technology was there. Everything is there that you can totally take a major look at, at a brain and like even maybe know the thought processes of that brain. Whose brain do you so want to study? <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> I, I'm really uh, knowing somebody else's thought processes. I am absolutely <laughs> opposed to that. I think that's a serious privacy violation. I don't think anybody should ever want to know somebody else's thoughts. Um, I love it. That's I mean, it's so true. It's like, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Even if I wanted to know, I don't want to know. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm with you on that. I was just, it's, it's, but if you could, if you could look at, um, like, do you think that there'd be a brain that would be really interesting to look at? I mean, do you think, is there a physical difference between like an, Ein, an Einstein brain and I don't know, some other crazy person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. That's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I'm not sure if there's like one specific person that I'd like to know, 
But one of the things that uh, I would really like to understand the structure and um, function of why it is that people are actually suicidal. The problem of suicide is something that really troubles me deeply about why some people after injuries and after, you know, especially after brain injuries. So in the, the study of U.S. military personnel that we saw from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, there were six of those individuals in the cohort of about 350 that we ended up studying that have committed suicide since they've returned from the wars. And so what is it about the experience of war and about brain injury and about post-traumatic stress disorder that some people are able to shrug off and recover from and um, go on with their lives, even if they're not the same as they were, and yet, but yet others succumb to, to suicide? So that's, and that's completely unknown. That's, that's really mysterious. Right. And on, on the converse, I'm going to give you two answers to the same question. Okay. The converse is the other brain that I would love to have a close look at is the ultra resilient. These are people that have had dozens or even hundreds of concussions in their lives, and they're fine. Really? There's nothing wrong with them. Their balance, memory, personality, mood regulation, thinking, organization, and planning are fine. How interesting. And we would, there's not very many of them. There's a very, very small number of people who have this level of resiliency. Most people would be completely wiped out. Right. But there's a small number of people who are ultra resilient. I would love to know what's special about them. You don't Why? think it's like thick-skulled people? We don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> it's not that easy, right? <laughs> I wish it were that easy. I wish it were that easy. They're overrepresented, these ultra-resilient, in professional football, boxing, and the U.S. military special forces. So, um, and we would love to know what it is that makes them so ultra-resilient so that we could hopefully transmit that to others. Yeah, no kidding. Or do a better job selecting who's going to do well in professional sports and military and who's not. Wow. See, those questions lead to the most amazing information, I'll tell you. All right, so this, I just, I saw this word when I was looking into your background and, you know, what did I want to ask you, what happened? I saw this and I was I was struck by it. Tau, T-A-U. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, tau, in the context of what I've been working on, is a protein. And that protein is a normal part of all of our brains. It stabilizes the railroad tracks that our brains use to transport things from one part of the brain to the other. So all the time, we're sending cargo from a nerve cell in one part of the brain off to a synapse, a connection between neurons at another part of the brain that could be, you know, six or eight inches away or even three feet away if it's going from the brain down to the spinal cord or the spinal cord down to the toe. And it uses railroad tracks called microtubules. And the tau stabilizes those microtubules. So it's a normal protein that is in all of us. But good proteins can go bad. This protein tau can accumulate in clumps and in irregular tangles in diseases. Okay. And Alzheimer's disease is one of them. And chronic traumatic encephalopathy is another one. And that's the connection to concussion. So people that have had multiple concussive brain injuries like boxers and football players and military personnel, they can accumulate a whole bunch of this tau protein in ugly tangles and clusters in their brains. 
And when they die, we can see that under the microscope. And these people are often very sick while they're alive. They're getting worse and worse. They're having neurodegeneration. Their brains are shrinking. They're losing their cognitive function. They're becoming very bizarre. Their behavior becomes very bizarre. And they also often commit suicide because of severe mood regulation. A lot of football players um, have committed suicide and then been found to have this chronic traumatic encephalopathy with tau protein in their brain. So we would like to know what is those what is that tau doing? Which normally it's such a good, helpful, useful protein. Right. Why is it gone bad? What is it doing that's so bad in those situations? It's a big deal in Alzheimer's disease as well, right. tau is. It's a big deal in several other neurodegenerative disorders. So so tau is a, a really interesting protein that we don't know nearly enough about. Well, I have to say this was really enlightening. Thank you so much for all this information. I so appreciate it. I can't wait for your TED Talk. Well, thanks for having me on. It's going to be fabulous. Thank you. And so you've been listening to Mishmash. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes channel, and we will see you next time.